All right. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. We're really glad you're here. I'm glad to be here with you. If you're new here to the church, you're a special guest for us, and thank you for being here with us today. I know some of you are here visiting family. Some of you may be here just because you're kind of checking out church, or maybe you kind of just come to church on Christmas and Easter. You're one of those CEO kind of people who's Christmas and Easter only, you know what I'm talking about. You're the CEOs. And if you're here, hey, we just want to let you know we're glad you're here. We're glad you're checking out church this morning. And I want you to know I'm new here too. So I've only been here for just over two months at this point in St. Louis and at this church, and it is a wonderful, wonderful church. If I say that a year from now, it'll sound like bragging. But right now, I'm still new enough to everything that I, as an outsider, with an outsider's perspective, I can tell you this is just, this is an awesome, awesome church. And uh, so if you're looking for a church right now, I would encourage you to check us out. Come back, you know, for a few weeks and see what it's like. Because I'll tell you, I've worked in a lot of churches. I've gone to a lot of churches in past years. And uh, this is the most friendly, welcoming, warm church I've ever experienced. And that's very unique, especially for a larger church. And so it's really great to have that. But that's the way church ought to be, right? That's the way churches ought to be. It ought to be a place of love. It ought to be a place where we are characterized by the love of God. That's what we talk about. That's what we read about. That's what church is supposed to be about. We're not just a place where people come to get together and sing songs and talk about a book. We are here because we truly care about each other. We love each other. And the book that we study, the Bible, helps us do that better, helps us grow, helps us understand God. We come together and we sing songs of praise to God because we have a God who loves us and who loved us enough to care about us. And it's because of that love that we can then turn around and love other people, even people that maybe we don't care about all that much, which is especially relevant come Christmas time. We're getting together with family. We don't always care about our families entirely. We don't always love them maybe like we should, but God is love. And we as a church should be characterized by love. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world, listen to this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We are supposed to be known for our love. It's supposed to set us apart. And so the fact that this is an incredibly welcoming and loving and gracious church, that that speaks to the fact that God is at work here, that these are God's people, that we are a loving, welcoming, warm place to be. God is love, and we are known as his disciples by how we show love for each other. And I'm, I'm happy to tell you, having been here for just over two months, that's what I see here. But there is a flip side to that love, There's another aspect of God that's not just love, but he's also just. God is love, but he's also just. And I really, really like the idea of God being love. That's easy for me to accept and understand. I like that. Where I struggle sometimes, and I'm not just saying this for effect, I I really have wrestled through the fact that God is just. That God has a justice aspect to him. And God's justice is not always a popular topic these days. I honestly don't think that too many pastors are preaching about God's justice this morning in particular. And they are probably much smarter than I am. But God's justice is a real thing. And it's important. So I want you to hear me out on this. Don't check out on me just because I'm talking about justice. I'm even going to use the other J word, judgment. Don't check out on me. Stick with me. Because we're going to bring this all back around to Christmas. Just trust me, we're going to get there. 
Preaching about God's justice is not a popular thing. It's not a popular topic, but it's something that every single one of us, justice is something that every single one of us deep down inside actually loves. Did you know that? You love justice. I love justice. We all love justice. What do kids say all the time? That's not fair. Why? Because kids want justice. There's an inherent desire in us that we want things to be just. I have a four-year-old who's with me this morning and a two-year-old who's in nursery right now. And when one of them gets something, the other one doesn't get it, what happens? Well, they got that. I want that too. Right? Right? Yeah. They want justice. If I want my daughter to eat Brussels sprouts, probably the easiest way for me to get her to do that is to give them to her brother and say, you can't have any. (laughs) I have created inequity. I have created injustice that causes her to go, I want some of that too. I don't care what they taste like. I'm going to shove these in my mouth. It works the other way. I can say to my son, here's some Brussels sprouts. She doesn't get any. Ooh, these are good now. Kids love justice. It's not just kids. Animals get this. Animals want justice. I have two dogs. And if I give treats or leftovers to one dog, the other dog starts losing their mind thinking they're not going to get the same thing. Have I ever given one something and not the other? No. They always both get it. But whoever gets it first, the other dog is going, oh, come on, I want it too. And they start freaking out. So we all love fairness. We all love justice, and I know that you love justice too. How do I know that you love justice? Well, because when one of your coworkers grabs your lunch out of the office fridge and eats it, you can't focus on work the rest of the day because you're thinking about how to get back at them. Or when your spouse does something that annoys you, your first reaction is to think of something to do to annoy them. Well, they did this to me. I'm going to do that to them. And you may not act on it. You may have grown to the point where you don't act on it, but that's your first thought. Or let me ask you this. When someone cuts in front of you in traffic and almost gets you into an accident, is your first reaction to just pray a blessing over them because they must be late for something important? I don't think so. Your first reaction is to notify them of their grievance in the most loud or visible way. And again, you may not act on that. But the fact is, that's our first reaction because we have perceived some kind of injustice in the world and our instinct is to say, I have been wronged and I want to make that wrong right. We love justice. Every one of us loves justice. When we hear about injustice, it offends us. Especially when we hear about injustice for for little kids, the oppressed, the abused. When we see someone who has hurt other people, we want judgment to come upon them. We want justice. Earlier this year, Luanda Griffin, right here in St. Louis, had her family, several members of her family, including her seven-year-old granddaughter, taken away from her by violence. And the guy who did it eventually turned himself in, and, and she was interviewed about this whole thing. And you know what she said? Did she say, well, I sure hope he's found innocent, and they let him go? Did she go to the judge and ask him to be lenient and merciful because I'm sure he did enough good things in his life to outweigh this one bad thing? No. She said she was happy that he was going to get justice. In fact, she said that she, she says, I'm just ready to start the court process. 
I'm going to be there every single day. I want him to know about how he has taken my family away. Now, can you imagine how she would feel if after all of this, this guy got off on a technicality? Or think about your family. If someone did something to hurt your family and they were caught and it was clear that they were guilty and then they were set free because of some loophole, how would you feel? Like some great injustice had been done. You see, when we perceive injustice, it's the highest level of offense that we can get. We all know inherently that's wrong, that's bad, that should not happen. We have this sense of justice within us. Protests, rioting, almost always the result of some perceived injustice. We love justice. We care very much that justice happens to those who deserve it until the justice we're talking about is the justice of God. That's a kind of justice we don't like talking about as much. And so many churches today actually don't. Many pastors today will not speak about justice. In fact, some of them go so far as to basically claim that it doesn't exist. Everybody's good. There is no justice. And why is that? Why this aversion to justice? Well, I can think of three reasons. Number one, it's not a very pleasant topic. It's not a pleasant thing. It doesn't seem like a great way to introduce people to the church or to Jesus to talk about his justice. Number two, it conflicts with our idea that God is love. How can an all-loving God also administer justice, judgment on people? And we won't have a lot of time to go into that in depth this morning, but we'll touch on it a little bit. And number three, because deep down inside of us, the reason why we don't like talking about God's justice in churches, deep down inside of us, we all know that we have not lived a perfect life. We are not up to the standard that God has set. And so if God is just and if there is a justice of God, then we have violated his principles and we deserve some judgment for that. So God's justice is inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. It's scary. It's threatening. And it's also the reason we celebrate Christmas. Isn't that crazy? Have you ever thought about that? The reason we celebrate Christmas is actually because of God's justice. In fact, if it weren't for God's justice, we we wouldn't have a reason to celebrate at all. Isaac Watts is a man who understood this. He was a pastor and a theologian and a songwriter and an all-around handsome man. He was born... My apologies if you look just like that, but I looked around the room and didn't see anybody. He was born in England in 1674, and he quickly showed a propensity for rhyming. In fact, on one occasion, as his father was praying, he kept his eyes open, and his dad caught him, and he questioned him on it and was going to punish him. And Isaac, ever the quick thinker, came up with a little rhyme to respond to his dad who was saying, why did you keep your eyes open? He said, a little mouse for want of stairs ran up a rope to say its prayers. Now, this is just a warning to all the kids out there. If your dad asks you a serious question, don't answer with a poem. Probably not a good idea. And so after Isaac's father had finished punishing him, Isaac reportedly said, Oh, father, father, pity take, and I will no more verses make. He learned his lesson. Through the course of his life, Isaac Watts wrote over 750 different songs, different hymns. And one of his favorite methods for doing this was to take a psalm in the Old Testament and to rewrite it into the linguistic style of the New Testament. 
He did this so that as people were singing a paraphrase of an Old Testament psalm, they would be pointing the way to Christ. That was his whole point. And one of his most famous songs is Joy to the World. Now, most of you know, if you've been here all month, we are going through a series called Noel, the songs of Christmas, and we're looking at different Christmas songs. And today, we're looking at the song Joy to the World. And this tune was created, at least the tune that we sing today, from fragments of George Handel's music. It's actually not the original song that we sing today. If we sang the original tune, you you wouldn't even recognize what it is. But that's how this song came about. We've got Isaac Watts, who wrote this on a paraphrase of a psalm, and then George Handel's music, but George Handel didn't write the music for this. Someone else took pieces of George Handel's music and put them together and created a new tune called Antioch, which is what we sing Joy to the World to today. Here are the lyrics to this song, this great Christmas song, or we treat it as a Christmas song, called Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. And there's actually another verse that we don't often sing, but I'm going to share it with you this morning. This is how it goes. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. And the reason that we don't often sing that anymore is just because of how weird it sounds to be cheerfully singing, far as the curse is found. You know, it's just a weird thing to say that over and over and over, far as the curse is found. And it's actually about the blessings of God, but it just sounds odd. So normally today we kind of leave that verse out of it, but that was part of the original song. So like many of Watts's songs, This hymn is a paraphrase of a psalm. In fact, it's Psalm 98, 4 through 9. And if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Psalm 98. We're going to look at the biblical background, the context for this psalm, this song rather. In this psalm, Psalm 98, verses 4 through 9. And if you want to look this up on your mobile device, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can pull this up there. Go to events, search for first free, or actually it'll, it'll come up with first free, and you'll be able to pull us up there. If you don't know how to do any of that, but you would like to get this on your phone, I know some of you have brought up how you're not quite sure how to make all this happen. We created a webpage for you. It's efree.org Bible. If you go to efree.org Bible, you will get instructions and the app right there, whether you're on iOS or Android, you can download it. All of the scriptures we're going to talk about this morning are right there so you can follow along with us and not have to get a paper cut as you flip through your Bible. Just kidding. Either method is good. Psalm 98, four through six says this, shout to the Lord, all the earth, break out in praise and sing for joy. And as we go through this, I'm going to give you some of the lyrics that correspond to this that Isaac Watts used as his paraphrase. So shout to the Lord, all the earth, break out in praise and sing for joy, joy to the world. Let the earth receive her king. Verse 5, sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and melodious song. Let men their songs employ. 
with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn, make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. Repeat the sounding joy and let the earth receive her King. Verse 7, let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in and heaven and nature sing. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. So you can see where this came from. It's a loose paraphrase of Psalm 98. Now I have a couple of observations that I want to offer to you. And the first one is this. Singing songs in church is not just some religious tradition. This is actually a response to a biblical principle. The Bible instructs its readers to sing songs to God, and not just to sing songs, but to sing songs with joy, joyful singing, rejoicing. Sometimes when you look around churches today during song time, if you just sort of ignore the music for a little bit and look around at the faces, you couldn't tell if you were in a church service or a funeral. Because you've got people out there who are singing joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well, no tongue can tell. And it's just blah, like get some life in you, man. No tongue can tell. Yeah, yeah, I definitely can't tell from your tongue that you're joyous, that you're joyful. And look, I'm not saying here that we should put on a mask or, or be insincere or not be authentic. If you're coming to church and, and you're just feeling down in the dumps, I'm not saying you've got to just put a smile on your face and fake it. No, 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 not at all. That's not what I'm saying. There may be a time during, during song time where you just got the weight of the world crushing down on you and the solution is not to fake it. The solution is just to sit down and pray while we sing and just ask God to work in your life and in your heart. But the solution to a sour disposition is not to fake it, it's not to put on a mask, it's a change of attitude. See, if we actually listen to the words that we're singing sometimes in these songs, there's some incredible meaning there. If we just stop and think about that, like when we sing the song, Christ is enough, Christ is enough, everything I need is in you, it says. If you really believe that and you stop and think about that as you're singing it, it's an incredibly happy thought. Christ is enough. Despite all this junk going on in my life right now, all of the issues with the family and the kids and the marriage, maybe your car broke down last week. Maybe you're having difficulty with your house, maybe being behind on your payments or something like that. Maybe you've got other problems going on in your life, whatever it is, if we can come here and truly sing and think about and believe, Christ is enough for me. That's a choice. The choice to have a good attitude because all of the stuff in my life pales in comparison to what God has done. And so I can choose to sing for joy. This is something that we're trying to teach our kids right now. You can choose to have a good attitude. And one day it just struck me, huh, I really ought to remember that. I can choose. Honestly, this is something I'm working on right now. I'm just being real with you here. Some days I just do not have a good attitude. And I'm just cranky. And my wife says, is everything okay? And if I'm self-aware enough, I'll go, yeah, I'm just in a bad mood. Sometimes I know why, sometimes I don't. But even if I know why, the, the fact remains, nothing that's going on in my life right now even compares to what God has done for me and blessed me with. And so if I really stop and think about the words that I'm singing, my attitude needs to change. I need to choose to change my attitude because Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in him. And instead of wallowing like a victim... I'm going to choose to embrace the fact that God has given me victory. And that is incredible. And so we can sing for joy. Not just go through the motions. 
but truly worship God with our singing together. And that's what this psalm is talking about here in Psalm 98. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise. Sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and melodious song. With trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn, make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord. Now, for our second observation about this passage. Because there's something we're missing here. Be joyful, celebrate, be happy. What, what is the reason that the psalmist is telling us to sing for joy, to praise God, to use instruments to make a joyful noise to God? What is the why? What is the purpose behind this? We have to finish verse 9. At the start of verse 9, we have a little phrase, and then it says, for. That word for is very important because it means whatever comes after that word for is going to explain the why for what we just read. So verse 9, for he is coming to judge the earth. Celebrate, sing songs of joy, rejoice, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. And I'll be honest with you, that is not what I expected when I started reading up on the history of joy to the world. I thought this was going to be a relatively easy message. Joy to the world, fantastic, happy, joyful, cheery, perfect for Christmas. Oh, it's about judgment. And yet when you go back to the text, Psalm 98, joyous, joyful, celebrate, the whole world rejoicing for judgment. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. And going back to the days of the Old Testament, the people knew that a time was coming when God would judge everyone and set everything right. A time was coming when injustice would be eliminated, when the nations would be judged with fairness and brought to justice. When you think about the nations, what does that mean there, the nations? Well, this is not restricted to Israel. Even though this psalm is written in Israel for Israelites, it's not restricted to Israel. This is the nations. Everyone will come under judgment. This isn't just Israel. This isn't just the Middle East. And as far as Israel was concerned, they were constantly oppressed by other nations. And so for them, the thought of judgment and justice for these nations that were oppressing them, that was a good thing. But the bottom line here is that the judgment and the justice is coming for everyone, all peoples. That's why Isaac Watts put it this way in his song. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. How does he prove the glories of his righteousness? God will rule the world. He will rule the world with truth and he will prove. His righteousness will be tested by the nations and he will prove his righteousness with justice to the nations. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) Joy to the world. The Lord has come to judge you and everyone you know. Not exactly a happy thought, is it? It's not really what I think about when I think of joy to the world. But here's the thing. Joy to the world was never written for Christmas. 
Isaac Watts did not write Joy to the World to celebrate Christ's first coming. He wrote it about the second. Joy to the World is not a Christmas song. It's fine that we sing it at Christmas time. It's a great Christmas song now. That's not how it was originally used. It's not how it was originally meant. It's a paraphrase of Psalm 98, which is about God bringing his judgment to the world. And here's the question I have, and I imagine you have it too. And so here's what I really want to leave you with. Why are judgment and justice a cause for joy? If that's the reason, if that's the why, if that's the purpose, why do both the psalmist and the songwriter see justice and judgment as a cause for celebration? I'm going to give you two reasons. First of all, we all long for justice. We do. We long for justice. When we look around at the world today and we see inequality, we see injustice everywhere, we see people who have been treated unfairly and marginalized, we see people who are abused, we see entire nations in some cases that are oppressed, we see children who are starving, we see individuals who claim to be followers of God and yet do horrible, atrocious things, and we ask, how is that fair? Why can they get away with that? Why do bad things happen to good people? And here's the one that troubles me even more. Why do good things happen to bad people? That doesn't make any sense to me. How come the CEO of a major company can do all sorts of shady business moves, maybe sort of break the law, definitely do some unethical things, the company goes bankrupt, everybody that invested their life savings loses all of that, and they walk away with a $10 million golden parachute? How is that fair? Where's the justice? How does this happen? We all want to know, God, when are you going to bring justice? We do want justice. And I'll tell you what, it's coming. The justice is coming. The day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge what people thought they got away with. See, we live in a fallen world right now. A fallen world with sinfulness that is embedded in our humanity because of the rebellion of the first humans. And a lot of people look at the the fairness situation in the world and the injustice and they say, if there is a God, if there is a God, why isn't he administering justice right now? And I have good news for you. He will. No, not right now. Life is not fair. But there will be justice, there will be fairness in this world, there will be judgment, and every wrong will be righted. Every single action by every single person will be judged one way or another, and justice will be metered out. And here's the critical truth. And if you don't understand this part, then much of what goes on in the world will not make sense to you. What we are in right now is an interim period where God is intentionally delaying his justice. That is critical. We are in an interim period where God is delaying his justice. I want to be very clear on that. The world was created with perfect righteousness, perfect justice. Everything was fair. That's chapter one. Humans rebelled against God, brought sin into the world. That's chapter two, where we are currently. There will be a time when God will make everything right again. When Jesus will come and judge the world, everything will be just, everything will be fair, and that's chapter three. We're in chapter two right now. 
This is an interim period where God is intentionally delaying his justice. And when you think about it from that perspective, so much actually makes sense. God is delaying his justice. He's being patient with us. And why would he do that right now? Well, Peter gives us an answer to this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 3, here's what he says. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient. He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along, that means waiting for it expectantly, eager for it to come. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Why do we see injustice in the world? Why is it that not everything seems fair? Why has God not judged everything already? It's because he's being patient. It's because we're in chapter two, this interim period where the judgment and justice is coming, but thankfully God has not metered it out yet. And that brings us back to our question, why is judgment a cause for joy? Number two, Because Jesus paid for our justice. Jesus paid for our justice. Listen, I deserve justice and judgment just as much as anyone who has ever walked the face of this earth. I have done wicked things. I have thought wicked thoughts. I have done evil things. I am just as much a sinner as everybody else, as anybody else. I deserve justice and judgment. I've said things I never should have done. I've not lived up to God's moral standard, that same moral standard that intrinsically, instinctively drives us to recognize injustice, unfairness in the world. Every single one of us sitting in this room has violated God's standard, deserves God's justice because we've caused injustice and so we deserve to be judged. But Jesus paid the penalty for us, the penalty that we deserved so that God's justice could be given to him instead of us. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 25 says this. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held 
back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Part of that chapter two, the delaying of judgment. God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Verse 26, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then? That we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. And let me illustrate it this way. A lot of people in this world think that if there is a God, that he grades on a curve. And so I don't have to get 100. As long as I'm better than some other people, As long as I'm a 51, or maybe even a 60, or a 70, or a 95, that should be good enough. I should be able to skip judgment. And that's not how justice works. Justice, God's justice, is pass or fail. Justice says that a 100 is pass, and 99.99 is fail. It's falling short. It's a failing grade as far as God is concerned. If I have a glass of pure water up here and I take just a tiny little bit of poison and drop it in there, would you want it? It's 99.99% pure water. But see, a little bit of wrong spoils the whole thing. God's word puts it this way. A little yeast affects the whole loaf of bread. Or in another place it says, whoever has kept the whole law of God but has messed up in one point is as guilty as if he broke the whole law. We cannot be made right by the things we do. No amount of religious activity or good deeds or charity or service or giving, none of that will get us to 100 because we've already all made mistakes. We have already caused injustice. We have already not lived up to God's standard. And the good news is this, that God presented Jesus Christ to us as a sacrifice for our sin. And we can be made right with God because Jesus lived a perfect life. He never committed a sin. And so he was a perfect substitute for us. The Bible says that he became our sin so that we could get his righteousness. And how does that happen? Go back to verse 26. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight. When? When they believe in Jesus. So why can we rejoice in justice? Here's why. Jesus came to do what we could not. He scored a perfect hundred. He got an A plus. And all of us got an F. And it's like Jesus turned to the teacher and said, I'll take his grade, you give him mine. And we get Jesus passing grade and he took the penalty, the justice for us. The stakes here are not just graduating. This is justice we're talking about. This is judgment for eternity that we're talking about. So why can we rejoice in justice? Because God's just judgment will set everything right in the world. And we should look forward to that day. It's actually going to correct a lot of these wrongs that people look at and question God about. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Oh, he's going to bring justice 
And we actually should look forward to that when God's going to make everything right and a new, new heavens and a new earth. But why can we rejoice in justice? Because God has made a way for us to be judged righteous even though we are the opposite. To give us a passing grade. And that is cause for rejoicing. Christmas. Christmas is not just about lights and Santa and gifts. It's not just about family and tradition, although all those things are wonderful. What Christmas is really truly about for us is the gift that God gave us in His Son to pay our penalty so that we could bypass His justice. And He took that on Himself. It's the opportunity to be treated by God's justice as if you and I never did anything wrong, even though clearly we have. That is what we are celebrating today. Let's keep that in mind. As we celebrate today and tomorrow and every day, the reason why this day is so special is because of God's justice that we don't have to endure because of what Jesus did for us. And so Isaac Watts could say, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this awesome group of people. I thank you for how you have paid that penalty for them so they can be redeemed to you. I pray that if there's anyone in here who does not know for sure that you have paid that penalty that has been applied to them, God, I pray that they would come forward and talk to us. I pray that they would do business with you today. I pray that they would have a new relationship with you today and that we would be able to be a part of that. And God, for those of us who have a relationship with you, who have been made right with you, who can celebrate no matter what goes on in our life because of what you've done for us, Lord, help us to keep that perspective as we go into Christmas even for the kids in this room, that it's not about the presents, it's not about the toys, it is all about what you have done for us. And let's live that way now. We thank you, God, for everything you've done. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.